Well, good morning. Um, it is a joy, as always, to be gathered before our Lord together in worship. Um, he is so gracious week in and week out to gather us here together, and He has been gracious to us this morning uh, to bring us visitors. So if you're visiting, welcome. Um, as most of you know, we've been in the Gospel of John for a few months now, and I hope it's been a beautiful time, a sweet time, uh, getting to see who Jesus is week in and week out, and more and more of what He's done for you and what He's done for the world. From time to time, I try to listen uh, to sermons from churches around the area to kind of get a feel uh, for what's in the water and what the people are drinking. And one of the biggest things here recently that has stuck out to me um, is how so many of the pastors almost always at the end of their sermon call people to believe in Jesus. But then the entire 30 minutes leading up to that point, they preached, they never actually told people who this Jesus guy is that they were supposed to be believing in. I was listening the other week and I started to get a little bit nervous. My fear for the church is that people actually heed the call to believe in Jesus, but because they're never confronted with the totality of who He is and what He has done, then they end up believing in a Jesus of their own imagination or even a Jesus from the pastor's imagination. Over time, you will see which Jesus this is who they are believing in, and the state of those churches reveals the kind of Jesus that is being preached. Now, a few weeks ago in our missional community, we talked about a few of the different kinds of Jesuses uh, that are being preached and being believed on in our culture today, but it's worth mentioning a few of them today because of our story. We mentioned that some people believe in the John Lennon, all you need is love Jesus, who's not concerned with objective truth. We mentioned that others believe in the Zig Ziglar Jesus, who wants you to be a better version of you. There's the Mr. Rogers Jesus, who wants us to get along and play nice, and the homeboy Jesus, who just wants to hang out and, you know, whatever. This time of year, the Bernie Sanders social justice Jesus and the Ronald Reagan conservative Jesus tend to be a little bit more in the air. The gun-loving Jesus and the vegan hipster Jesus. And then there's genie Jesus who wants to give you whatever you want if you just name it and claim it. There are as many false Jesuses as there are people. But there is only one true Jesus. And I pray He's the one you hear here, and He's the one that you trust and obey. This week we will be in John chapter 5, verses 18 through 30. So turn with me if you have your Bibles there, and let's be confronted with the real Jesus. If you're willing and able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, then please follow along with us in your worship order as we see a group of men who have their false Messiah confronted with the real Messiah. I pray our reaction will be different from theirs. Hear God's Word. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking Sabbath... But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not only not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me, the Word of the Lord. May God bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word, and may He grant us all the grace to trust and obey Him. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you remember our story from last week, Mark introduced this conflict we see fleshed out a little bit more today. Look at verse 18 with me. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. Now, Jesus had just told these suedo Sabbatarians that He was working on the day of rest, just like His Father. And this infuriated them. Mark pointed out some things very important for us to remember as we approach this story. He said, remember, the Jews did not know everything about Jesus that we know now. All this was new to Him, and so their gut reaction makes sense. If Jesus makes Himself equal with God, and He was not God, then He was a blasphemer and a heretic and a false prophet who deserved to die according to the law. But if Jesus made Himself equal with God and He was God and is God, then He would be the most orthodox prophet that's ever come and they would be obligated to heed His word. I want us to remember this today as we go through our text. If Jesus is who He claims to be, then we cannot be neutral in our approach to Him today, not ever. Remember, the Apostle John wrote this book so that you would believe. And by believing, have life in the name of Jesus. He wrote what he wrote because he didn't want to leave any doubt in your mind of the hearers that Jesus was who he said he was. And John wanted to force us to choose a side. 
My hope for you this morning is that you will be just as amazed as the Jews should have been by this Jesus. Because these claims are so important, we've put them on the back of your worship order. That way, if you want to think through them today or think through His claims this week and what the impact they will have on your life, they are there for you. Today we're going to see Jesus makes five claims in this short discourse. Jesus claims that He is all-powerful, He is impeccable, He is the author and giver of life, the judge of all mankind, and as such, He is worthy of our worship and praise. Just like you and just like me today, back then the Jews were faced with the lunatic, liar, Lord paradigm C.S. Lewis set forth in his book, Mere Christianity, where he writes... I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept His claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us and he did not even intend to. That's the mindset we're approaching Jesus' claims today. Look at verse 19 with me. And we'll see the first of Jesus' claims in our text today. His claim to total power and sinless perfection. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, most of our English translations try to soften this language a bit. I'm going to make it a little more difficult for you. Um, a better way to translate this is, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is not able to do anything of Himself except what He sees the Father doing. Now, some people see those words in the Greek, not able, and they immediately think, oh, Jesus comes across as being maybe less powerful or maybe a little bit less God. And so they probably tried to soften up the translation here. But I think if they understood the doctrine of divine omnipotence, uh, divine power and true humanity, they would have seen that this softening, it's not necessary. For most of us, we hear this language, this father-son language and the language about ability. And we think that, uh, we start thinking of all the things that fathers can do, that sons can't do um, because of their age or their size or their strength. But that's not what's going on in this story. Jesus is not talking about an ordinary earthly father. Remember, he's talking about the God of the universe. The God who brought everything into existence by the word of His power. 
The God who flooded the entire earth with His judgment. The God who delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt. The God who does not dwell in houses made by human hands. The God who sustains all creation at every moment and who promises to reign over His people forever. This is the Father whom Jesus calls His. And Jesus says He isn't able to do anything except what His perfect, omnipotent God the Father does. That's the claim He's making. No Jew would dream of saying that God has a speck of weakness or sin in Himself. And here, Jesus is making those claims about Himself. By saying He's unable to do anything except what He sees His Father doing, Jesus is saying He's unable to do anything wrong. He's unable to be anything but all-powerful. The ability to disobey is not strength. Autonomy is weakness. You and I, we are unable to do what the Father does because we are less than God. Jesus is unable to do anything but what the Father does because He is equal with God. You and I are unable to be perfect because we are part of a broken, fallen humanity. Jesus is unable to be sinful because He is the perfect, sinless human. You and I say things about humanity that's more in line with the low view of culture when we quote Alexander Pope and we say things like, to err is but human. That's not the Bible's portrayal of ideal humanity. To sin is not only sub-God, but the power to sin is sub-human. Our sin nature and our sin action are actually departures from the image of God in man. But because Christ was the perfect imago Dei, the perfect image bearer, He couldn't sin. He is the omnipotent, impeccable all-powerful, sinless Son of God. That's the first of the extraordinary claims Jesus makes. He is unable to do anything but be perfect, just like His Father. Can you see now, if you're a Jew, hearing this claim, why you would be tempted with such a violent response? I propose to you, you should be tempted with a violent response, one way or the other. We're not finished yet. Look at verse 21 and 26 with me. Look at another of Jesus' extraordinary claims. The claim to be possessor and giver of life. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. And verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. Jesus just drew another line in the sand with this claim. If you remember, the Jews believed Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32-39 when He sang, See now, I, even I am He, and there is no God beside Me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. In the beginning, it is God who gave life. And at the end of this song in the Jews' most precious book, the Torah, God made this declaration about Himself. 
He says that in Himself is the power of life and death, and there is no God beside Him. And yet here in our text today, we see in John's Gospel that is written so that you would believe, Jesus has just made the claim that He has the authority to give life to whoever He wants. Jesus is saying He has the power of life in Himself. Anyone who would say that Jesus never made a claim to divinity is either ignorant or they're not being intellectually honest. Imagine the outrage if Mark or I got up here and we made these claims about ourselves. If Mark or I said something like, we have the power to give life and to take life to whoever we want. You wouldn't have the option of just throwing that line away and saying, nah, it's all right. They're just great. They're great moral teachers. You couldn't say that. You'd be forced to say, we are either crazy or we're false prophets that must be rejected. We don't get to look at Jesus' words here and say anything different than that. He's making those claims. Either He's telling the truth and He's got the power of life and death in Himself or He's crazy and a false teacher. If the latter is true and He's a lunatic or a liar, then we can dismiss Him. But if He's telling the truth and the former is true, then He is Lord. And He must be worshipped. And He must be obeyed. Only God is the possessor and giver of life. And Jesus is making that claim. Brings us to the next of Jesus' extraordinary claims. Not only does He claim to be all-powerful, impeccable author of life, but He's also making the claim to be the judge of the world. Look at verse 22 and first half of 23 with me. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Jesus has not let up. He has not softened His message at all here. After claiming He's equal with God, after claiming He's sinless and all-powerful and has life in Himself, He's also claiming He is going to judge the world. And He's got every right to do so. In our Scripture reading before the sermon, you heard of two key figures in ancient Judaism, the Ancient of Days and one like a Son of Man. Daniel saw a vision of Yahweh, the Ancient of Days, seated on His throne. And he saw one like a Son of Man who was given the power and authority to rule over all the peoples of the earth. So we've already heard Jesus' claim to be one with the Ancient of Days, but let's combine this claim with that one. Look at verse 27. And He's given Jesus the authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. So if we combine Daniel's vision with Jesus' statement here and John's in Revelation, we see that Jesus is not just like a Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. Any good Jew knew that God alone is judge. And the Son of Man imagery is a figure of judgment to the Jews. And here, Jesus is claiming to be the judge. He's claiming to be God. He has just declared Himself the Son of God and the Son of Man in one being. He is the God-Man. And He demands to be worshipped by Jews and by you and by me. 
we refuse to honor God the Son, then we refuse to honor God the Father. But i got to warn you, this isn't just an intellectual assent to the divinity of Jesus that we are talking about here. The Jews had enough consistency to hear the claims of Jesus and to reject them and continue living their lives as normal. And we scoff at them. We, we rightly dismiss their dismissal of Jesus. But we would do well to admit and to acknowledge that in some ways those Jews are more consistent maybe than some of us. They reject and refuse to honor Him. But some of us accept His claims intellectually and assent to His authority with our profession and yet simultaneously refuse to honor Him in our day-to-day lives. Look at the second half of verse 23 and verses 28 and 29 with me and we'll see just how problematic that is. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of worship. Jesus is saying that He is worthy of honor and worship alongside God the Father. But He isn't saying that this is a one-time thing. He is demanding obedience. And He's saying that this is a continual demand for all those who sit under His authority. The one who does not honor Jesus does not honor the Father right now. The one who isn't constantly being confronted with the real Jesus and who isn't constantly honoring Him over the false Jesuses isn't honoring God because you don't trust Him. You trust your conception of Him. Now, it must be granted logically, all any of us can do is worship and trust our own conception of Jesus. But what we must always do is adjust our conception of how we think Jesus should be subjectively to how Jesus reveals Himself to be objectively in the Bible. Tim Keller sums up our need to constantly be doing this in his book, The Reason for God. And he asks the question, do you have a Stepford God? He writes, if you don't trust the Bible enough, to let it challenge and correct your thinking, how could you ever have a personal relationship with God? In any truly personal relationship, the other person has to be able to contradict you. Remember the movie The Stepford Wives? The husbands of Stepford, Connecticut decide to have their wives turned into robots who never cross the wills of their husbands. A Stepford wife was wonderfully compliant and beautiful, but no one would describe such a marriage as intimate or personal. Some of you have very intimate personal marriages, I'm sure. All right, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibilities, that crosses your will, if you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest? How will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You have a Stepford God. A God who is essentially of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship and genuine interaction. 
Only if your God can say things that make you struggle will you know that you've gotten a hold of the real God and not a figment of your imagination. This week I was talking with a guy uh, he's having a hard time. He's having to change his mind over the issue of God's power over salvation and human responsibility because he sees it in the Bible. And he's wrestling with it because he doesn't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make him comfortable. And so he's wrestling. And he comes to me and he's afraid. And he's afraid. He thinks and he's asking me, he's like, am I a Christian? How can I be a Christian? Um, I don't like changing my mind about this. I don't like that it says this. Am I a Christian? When I encouraged him and I said, if he were never uncomfortable having to change his mind about something in God's Word, then is when he needs to worry. But the very fact that he was willing and desiring to change his mind and heart and conform it to God's Word, even when he didn't really like it, that's evidence of God's grace. I've watched over the years as, goodness, all of you, so many of you have come to see and come to worship Jesus in new ways and repent of your old ways and it has been a joy and it has been a privilege and it has been an honor and encouragement to behold. But I want to urge you this morning, keep doing that. Keep doing so until our Lord returns, until He makes us whole and He finally and perfectly corrects all of our misconceptions. Until then, let's keep asking ourselves these types of questions. When is the last time you grew in your understanding of Jesus and what He wants from you? When is the last time that you said no to something you would normally say yes to or yes to something you would normally say no to because that's what Jesus would have you do. If you're an extrovert, when is the last time that you were quick to listen and slow to speak? If you're an introvert, when is the last time you got out of your comfort zone in order to love your neighbor as yourself? Wives, when is the last time that you honored and submitted to your husband with a gentle and quiet spirit even when you didn't feel like it because the Lord would have you do so? Husbands, when is the last time that you were gentle and intentional with your wife, washing her with the Word because that is how Christ loved His church? Kids, when is the last time you obeyed your parents in the Lord? When is the last time some of you have forgiven someone who has really hurt you because the Lord has forgiven you? When did you invite a sinner over for dinner or change your politics or your taste in television? When did Jesus impact what you wore or what you listened to? When is the last time you altered when and where you went out of town and how you worshipped? When did your love for your Lord and His church require you to give sacrificially of your time and money? When did He demand that you wake up just a little earlier to gather with His saints? When's the last time He asked you to be inconvenienced by Him? If the Son of Man hasn't done any of these things... Nay, if He hasn't done all of these things, and I mean recently, then I ask you, do you think He's crazy? 
you think he's a liar? Because if you believed he was your Lord, he would impact every single decision you make and your whole life would be one of repentance. Now I say to those of you who haven't believed him at all, if you are still where the Jews were when they asked the paralytic in verse 12, who is this man? Then I urge you to do what the Apostle John desired when he recorded this story for you. Believe in this Jesus, that by believing you might have life in His name. Let's look at verse 24, the hinge verse as we close. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My Word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, as we've said, we have two options regarding this all-powerful, impeccable possessor and giver of life and judge of the world. You can reject Him or trust Him. You can hate Him or love Him. You can refuse Him or obey Him. If you choose the first of those options, you need to know you are His enemy. Rudyard Kipling probably most famous known for his author of, authoring of the short stories that led to the books and movie uh, Jungle Book, wrote a short poem called The Ballad of East and West, where two enemies meet on the battlefield and they wind up parting ways peacefully because of their mutual respect for one another. One of them even pledges his son to his former enemy as a sign of goodwill. The opening and closing refrain of the poem are the same. O oh, east is east, and west is west, and ne'er the twain shall meet, till earth and sky stand presently at God's great judgment seat. You who have deceived yourselves with a false profession, you are an enemy of Jesus, not a respected observer. And I pray the Lord opens your ears and that He breaks your hard heart and that you hear the voice of the Lord. You who consciously know that you don't believe, you know in your heart of hearts that you have rebelled against this great Lord Jesus and you too are His enemy. But I warn you, this is no Kipling poem. Yes, east is east and west is west and one day the twain shall meet. And on that day, earth and sky will stand at the judgment seat. And you will be there. And so will Jesus. You will be face to face. And He will not, as Kipling's characters did, agree to part ways because of your mutual respect for one another. He will ask the question of you, the Jews asked of Him, Who is this man? If you say He's a lunatic or a liar, or even a great moral teacher, you will be subject to eternal judgment for your conscious rebellion and refusal to trust the Son of Man. But, best word in all of Scripture, but if you trust that God the Father pledged His Son for you, His enemy, not because you're respectable, but because He loves sinners. And He loves you. And if you trust that this beloved Son is your wonderful Lord, 
He is the God-man who lived and died and rose again for you. Then neither east nor west, border nor breed nor birth will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And you will not come into judgment, but you will pass from death to life. Just this morning, we heard from the mouths of babes that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this morning, my prayer for you is that you would heed those wise words from those gentle mouths because Jesus is coming back again. Not as John Lennon or Mr. Rogers Jesus, but as the warrior Lord the Son of Man, to enact eternal justice on the world. Believe in this Jesus. Trust this Jesus and obey this Jesus that by believing you might have life in His name.